Welcome to the Unplugged Podcast with Debo Zarco, episode number 40. Hello and welcome to another amazing week of the Unplugged Podcast, where we unplug from status quo and shift the paradigm from head to heart by co-creating a more passionate, compassionate, loving, and interconnected world. You've arrived, again, at the place where you get to hear inspiring interviews with athletes, activists, authors, artists, yogis, and everyday paradigm busters as we journey together into the infinite depths of the human heart to remember through the power of story, who we all are at the core of our beings. And I am your status quo crushing host, Debo Zarco, welcoming you to your weekly dose of authentic expression and open-hearted inspiration. And if you've been listening to this podcast for any length of time, you know that I speak quite regularly about the vegan lifestyle. Now, Although I don't promote this podcast as a vegan podcast because, uh, quite frankly, I'm not interested in preaching to the converted, I truly believe that the only way that we can live as the authentically selfless, caring, kind, and loving species that we are at our very core, the only way that we can do that is to live compassionately from the interconnection that we share with all living beings. So making choices that contribute to violence towards any living being hurts us as much as it hurts them. Consuming the suffered flesh of a living being that valued, valued its life as much as we do only creates suffering within ourselves. And, you know, like it's pretty obvious, like the physical manifestations of our separation-based choices are painfully obvious in today's world. You just have to look around. Obesity, heart disease, cancers, stress, rampant violence. I mean, really, you can't consume violence without becoming violent yourself. Even if the violence lives in your thoughts, whether it's thinking negative thoughts about someone else or yourself, same thing. Yeah, so these are, these are the physical manifestations of our separation-based choices. And they suck. Yeah, they suck. I'm sure you can all agree that. So... Anyway, what I'm getting at is that in order to live as the best version of who we're meant to be in this lifetime, we need to reconnect to the essence of our being. And we all share the same essential soul nature of compassion, courage, empathy, kindness, selflessness, joy, and the big kahuna, love. When we remember that these are the qualities of who we are authentically at our core, we remember that we are not separate from any living being. Now, whether it's another human being, a cat, a dog, a chicken, pig, cow, flower, or tree, it makes no difference. We're all in this together. We all share life. We all live within an intricate web of life where too much or too little of anything can bring about massive collapse. And, you know, we all have the potential to be such incredible beings of compassion, kindness, and love. 
Now, on the flip side, we also have the potential to be such incredible beings of cruelty, violence, hatred, and fear. And the only thing that differentiates one from the other is choice. Do we choose to live consciously so we're guided by the truth that lives inside of us, the truth that is connected to all life and unplugged from the archaic belief systems of of an outdated separation-based cultural paradigm, or do we choose to live unconsciously, plugged into the cultural matrix of separation, brainwashed by habits and unexamined hand-me-down belief systems created to just, you know, really ensure our compliance so that we remain small, actually itty bitty is really more like it, separate, fearful, and stressed out. So I don't know about you, but for me, the choice is a no-brainer. I choose truth and a story. And with truth comes liberation. You know the saying, right? The truth shall set you free. Now, the truth can also be painful, but beyond the pain, truth is actually comforting to those who choose to not ignore it. Then not only is truth comforting, it's also really inspiring. And it's truth that actually mobilizes the soul of who we are for action. And we can't ever really reach the true potential of our best selves if we selectively negate certain animals and the natural world on our path to wholeness. So, as I previously mentioned, this is not an exclusively vegan podcast. Instead, this is a podcast that inspires you to be the best version of who you can absolutely be, of who you are meant to be. It's for critical thinkers with compassionate hearts. It's a podcast that inspires you to break free from the cultural programming that prevents you from being the most amazingly awesome version of the most interconnected you possible so that you remember that you are not separate from any living being, including yourself. So vegan in its purest form, and honestly, I have to come up with a different word because it's not enough for me. It really isn't. But anyway, we'll use that for now. When I come up with a different word, I will let you know. But in its purest form, vegan is just this. It's all about compassion for and interconnection with all life. Non-harming choices towards others equals non-harming choices for ourselves. It's that simple. Spiritual interconnection 101. And you become an instant status quo crusher. So the simple choice to embrace a vegan lifestyle And I mean that, I'm talking lifestyle, a lifestyle that is deeper than diet, deeper than health concerns, deeper than animal rights, deeper than environmental concerns. I'm talking about the choice that reconnects you to the love in your heart for all life. Or as Dr. Will Tuttle mentioned in podcast number 33, he calls it deep veganism. And this one choice does it all. Interconnection 101. So deep veganism blows status quo right out of the water once and for all. Kaboom, gone. No more choices that cause suffering to other living beings. No more choices that cause suffering to yourself. It's a reconnection to your essential nature, a healthy body, a peaceful heart, and a reawakening of the authentic self, which really is, you know, the soul of who you are. Voila, it's done. And, you know, by embracing a vegan lifestyle and really embodying it, 
you also experience a quantum leap in consciousness that only gets better as you open up to more and more of who you've always been meant to be. So there you have it. This is why I speak so often about veganism. It's not to switch you over to a diet. It's to wake you up to what's truthfully in your heart and what has been there dormant all along because of cultural programming. So for me, I initially chose a vegan lifestyle for compassionate reasons because I didn't want to, I didn't want any of my choices to harm animals or the planet. But over the years, it's deepened to the point that I feel that this one single choice has reunited me with the essential nature of my soul. So veganism opened me up to other forms of self-care such as meditation, creative expression, and simplicity. And with all of that, I actually live a really awesome life as me, purely me. A life that totally defies status quo and empowers me to live as the most authentic, integrous, congruent, caring, and real version of Debo Zarco possible. And, and that means having fun too, you know, like being a goofball. So, you know, like for example, this weekend I was, we had some great friends come over from Vancouver for the day and, uh, we were hanging out by the beach and I just felt inspired to start a belching contest. (laughs) So we all broke into hysteric laughter and we just belched and belched and belched and tried to out belch one another. And that's goofy and it's really fun and it kind of brings you into the present moment. So, you know, it's, or, you know, like, uh, what other goofy things? Okay, placing pre-chewed, freshly picked blackberries on my front teeth to replicate not having any teeth. Or, you know, like, how about hiding behind doors and leaping out of my partner for a hilarious reaction? (laughs) At least to me, anyway. And then there's spontaneous and random bouts of dancing. Honestly, there's nothing more liberating than that. So nobody said that living a spiritual life excludes bouts of goofy immaturity, okay? So have fun. That's really critical to to, to living an authentic life. So I have to ask, why is it that we've strayed so far from the core of who we are? Now, if you listen to what the experts say, they say that from the ages of zero to six, yes, they do say zero, believe it or not, zero to six, we're being programmed by everybody who takes care of us. So in these first years of innocence, the belief systems of our parents and caretakers become firm, quite firmly installed. That is, unless someone who is unplugged from the matrix comes along to influence and teach us otherwise. And it's only then that we have a chance as children to maintain a connection to our core essential nature of compassion for all life. Otherwise, we're indoctrinated into the same culture of willful ignorance and cognitive dissonance. And this is the paradigm of separation that our parents have passed on generation after generation. And then when that happens, when we're fully indoctrinated and plugged into the matrix, we're screwed. And, you know, we're screwed for many years until we're able to shake off the trance. 
if we even wake up to the fact that we're in a trance. And, but when we do, then we are able to explore kinder options that feel more authentic and congruent with the truth of who we've always been meant to be. So this week's Unplugged podcast guest is a true paradigm buster who has totally unplugged from the matrix of separation. She's someone who invites children to move beyond the programming of a culture gone sideways and instead to think critically in order to remain connected to their essential compassion for, for animals, for the planet, you know, for the entire natural world. Ruby Roth is the world's leading author and illustrator of vegan and vegetarian books for children. She's been vegan since 2003, and uh, she noticed that when she was teaching art in an elementary school, that her students became quite fascinated with her veganism. And this inspired her to write, That's Why We Don't Eat Animals, in 2009. This was the first book of its kind in children's literature. She wrote a couple of books after that, Vegan is Love and V is for Vegan. And today, Ruby's books have been translated into multiple languages, including German, Italian, Korean, French, Polish, and Slovenian. Yeah, Slovenian. Pretty cool. So Ruby is also no stranger to controversy. She's been featured on CNN, Fox, Today, and many other major mainstream American media outlets where truth is an evasive reality that tends to bring out the nasty side of the status quo conformists that work at these places. So if you watch her video clips on, on uh, her video interview clips on her website, she's so impressive with how eloquent and steadfast she remains in her conviction towards truth. While the folks who interview her are obviously quite heated with their emotions, you know, that's often the case when uh, status quo belief systems are challenged, Ruby maintains her very calm composure throughout these sometimes pretty nasty attacks. But you know, truth is like that, right? It needs no defense, so there's nothing to get your knickers in a knot about. Which, you know, like, it's impressive that she remains so calm, despite how nasty these people could be. Um, But, you know, lies, on the other hand. Have you ever noticed how obvious it is to single out someone living the lie by how heated they get when they're challenged? And this actually brings up a, a, a quote that I remember by author David Stevens, where he states, A lie is a lie, even if everyone believes it. The truth is the truth, even if nobody believes it. But you know, with almost 90,000 Facebook likes, it's pretty obvious that Ruby's work is waking people up and that they're embracing it. Her books are really beautifully illustrated and very truthfully written, which quite honestly is a refreshing change in a world of illusion. Love deeply, think critically, Act Responsibly, The Philosophy and Practice of a Conscious, Engaged Life. This is the tagline on our website. Hallelujah is all I can say to that. And in an online article in the Daily Mail, which is a news outlet in the UK, Ruby is quoted as saying, If we want to move towards an era of solutions where the planet is healing, people are fed and healthy, 
There is good in the way we do business and a reverence in the world for all living things. Then all we have to do is live that ourselves. Mm Mm-hmm. Can't argue with that. I always find it interesting to observe how the status quo sleeping masses freak out over truth. Which brings me to another great saying by my hero, Mahatma Gandhi. First they ignore you, then they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win. It's obvious to me that Ruby is on the path to winning. Ruby Roth is a status quo crusher extraordinaire, and I am deeply honored to bring her voice to you this week. Enjoy this interview. Well, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here today on this show, Ruby. I have been an admirer of your work, as I've kind of already gushed and told you. I've been an admirer of your work for a few years, and as I've already mentioned, I love your passion. I love your, um, how centered you are in who you are, and I'm really eager to be able to share your essence with everyone out there listening and everyone who's going to be reading this book, and also I get to, you know, I get to know your essence a little bit more too. And I have the advantage of being able to see you. Everybody else is going to be able to hear you. (laughs) It's probably better that way today. (laughs) Um, Thank you so much. It's an honor to be part of this community, this truth-seeking community. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Well, I always like to start with a personal journey at the beginning. And um, that always sets, you know, a really good foundation for, for what's to follow. And you, like I mentioned, you're just so connected to your purpose. It's really obvious when I watch your interviews. Oh, and you got such a great smile too. (laughs) (laughs) And it's obvious that you've really integrated your passion for animals into your life's work for connecting um, children with their own core compassion. And that's because, you know, we've all been indoctrinated into this culture, which I talk about regularly, of disconnect and separation. Um, but you're reconnecting them when they're still at that age where they haven't been fully separated. So I'm just wondering how you got to where you are today. And, you know, what is it that drives this passion that you have for, for reconnecting people, well, kids especially, to the essence of who they are, that compassionate place inside? Well, I think my natural interests had always been leading me to this path of veganism before it ever even occurred to me. I grew up in a very liberal, progressive family, had a very um, progressive education along the way in high school and college. And I had always planned on being an artist, but I was also interested in social justice and politics. Um, One of my majors was American studies, which is the history of the United States through a lens of race, class, gender, and sexuality. And all of those um, interests came together for me when I was teaching after college at an elementary school. And the kids were all curious about why I wasn't eating the string cheese and the milk that they were being served at recess. And I had these wonderful conversations with these kids. Um, And I just realized I went to I went to find a book that I could share with them. And everything I found was, was about a talking animal or a talking vegetable 
And I just didn't feel like these kids were going to relate. And that's not how I was talking to them. And that's not the kind of conversations we were having um, about animals and the environment and things they were into. Like I remember even one girl was into meditation. This was a fourth grader. Um, wow. So I just, yeah, I didn't. I And these were inner city kids. Um, and I was just so impressed by their minds and their ways of thinking. So I decided to write this book for myself and the kind of book that I wanted to share with these kids who are just so intelligent and so smart and so connected in a way that I think most adults don't give kids credit for. You know, and and you said reconnect kids um, um, to animals and um, to a higher consciousness, but I think they are already there. It's usually society and parents and school that gets them off track or distracts them from things that they feel naturally. And you mentioned, um, you know, just before I started recording that some of the, um, some of the feedback that you've been getting more of the, I guess the negative feedback is that you're scaring kids with your books. Now I've seen your stuff. I don't think it's scary. <laughs> like really, it's, I don't get that. I personally, I don't get that. But people who fear the truth, I guess I can understand where they're coming from. I'm trying to, be, trying to come from an empathetic, empathic perspective and, I guess people who are, you know, who've already been fully indoctrinated into that coma fear so many things. And the truth, the truth is the one that is the thing that they fear the most. So. And it's life changing. Veganism is even the concept of it and the motives behind it are, are life changing. And that scares parents because the status quo is so comfortable for them that they don't even know where to begin um, changing it. So I fully understand the fear of change, but it would be the same thing if you were a vegan your entire life and someone said, hey, you really got to get on meat. It's the best thing for you and the environment. And you would start wondering, how do I cook it? What do I do about the salmonella? You know, what? <laughs> there'd be a jillion questions. So it's just choosing one thing over another that's new, that that takes a little transitional period. But then it's great. And, and I've never seen a kid who was overwhelmed by my book. I only have seen the opposite, that they're very interested and have a lot of insight on animals and the planet. And, you know, when you speak frankly to kids, they really pay attention because they feel like you're letting them in on a secret. Nobody really talks to them straight up like that. Yeah, that's, that's really awesome. And so now like, what I'm getting at is like, you're so, you're so on track with your purpose. Like you feel so it, when I look at you, you just seem so solid in it. And despite, you know, any kind of feedback, like, I guess, I mean, I'm sure you're probably getting both sides. You get the great stuff and you get the negative stuff, but nothing seems to derail you. So what is it that just keeps you there? What keeps you so grounded in that? It's just a a natural love these things interest me um and i feel such reverence for animals and for social justice and for politics and philosophy um i can't help it you know even when um there are are things in front of me that don't make me any money or don't 
contribute to, you know, our household in any way. I just can't help it. I have to do it. It's a, I feel obliged and in service to this thing that, that feels bigger than I am. And, you know, in my, in my artistic journey and career, um, I was never really comfortable with doing art just for art's sake. I never, I wanted to be an artist, but the idea of becoming a gallery artist and just expressing my feelings <laughs> all the time wasn't really interesting to me. And I, I think that's why I never fully committed to um, the life of an artist until these books came along and I had a, and served me with a higher purpose. That's such a beautiful answer. And uh, man, you really expressed it so well. And I think that that's what's so missing in, in today's world is that people, they seem to feel this need to find their purpose when really, I think it's important to just live it because we all, we, we already know what we need to do. And when we realize that purpose is something that's bigger than us, that it's serving and that it's, you know, it pulls us along regardless of income or whatever, like you said, you know, like I, I feel the same way, you know, it's just, it's so much bigger than me. And, um, <laughs> I, I, I can't live off of what I do, but I sure feel great about it, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's, that's so exciting that, that you're so deeply connected to it. And hopefully other, others will just hear your words and connect to theirs as well. And I think it doesn't take a, um, a career change to get involved. I think I was already interested in art and that's where my talents were. Um, and that's where I led. But, um, you know, I think if you're a makeup artist or you're a lawyer or you're a janitor, you need to start where you are because those professions and communities need you to be eco-conscious and to be animal conscious and to be, um, instilling new habits within that that field. So it does not mean you have to be a starving artist. I think everybody can bring their reverence for nature and for animals and for health into their um, circle and their profession. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And one of the things that I talk about a lot is that Gandhi quote, you must be the change that you wish to see in the world. And I feel like if we embody that, if we embody what it is that we want to see in the world, and you know, I talk about what I want to see, I want to see more love and joy and compassion and empathy and creative expression, all that stuff. And I can't ever expect to see that in the world if I can't be that myself. And that to me is purpose, is when we embody that and we just bring that into the world, whatever that looks like, then we're actually living our purpose. Yeah. And I think you need to use that love where you feel it naturally to inform your other behaviors because, you know, it's easy for me to feel a sense of joy when I see these silly squirrels outside. Um, jumping around it makes me laugh out loud and I, I feel happy from that even though it's so small um, but taking that love and using it in how I behave with others or how I behave in my relationship or how I behave with my stepdaughter you know or professionally wherever it's easier to feel it in some places and so you use that to train yourself in others mm -hmm. beautiful that's beautiful um i want to come back to one of the things that we talked about before before we started recording and is about feeling when we were talking about how um sometimes people think 
adults, I guess, think that your books scare kids. The way you were talking about how it's important to feel, I thought is important to share with others. Yeah, I think that we often try to distract kids and ourselves from feelings. Um, One of the biggest critiques from major media about my books for kids was that they were potentially scary and upsetting for children. And I think when you confront um, injustice and violence, unnecessary violence or unjustified violence, that it should be upsetting to a human being. And I think that is the correct and natural response. Um, I think teaching kids to manage and process feelings rather than avoid them in the first place is a kind of education that lasts a lifetime and can only um, help a child in all areas of their life. Absolutely. Thank you. That's so important. And like I mentioned, we talk about that so regularly. And the more people hear the importance of feeling again, you know, the more they realize that it's okay. And, and like we said, you know, like, especially when we feel these powerful emotions, when we allow them to move through, they can be transformed into something even more powerful and transformative where we can actually do good in the world. Yes. I want to bring up, uh, I, I watched a lot of the videos on your website and all the the comedy (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's that's one way to put it so uh the cnn okay there's one cnn interview clip and okay cnn already uh what did i uh, somebody said once um there's a great acronym for for cnn it's always like constantly negative news so (laughs) that's really great so anyway I'm injecting my bias here but anyway a CNN interview clip on your website showed a poll indicating that 48% of people said that they were fine with veganism for kids if nutrition is good and 32% of people indicated that kids uh, kids can decide later in life now when I saw that I thought Okay, the 48% majority is, is, is great, but I, I actually saw a lot of problems with the 32% statistic. And the biggest problem that I saw was um, the early indoctrination into the culture of cruelty or separation, as I often call it, by role models who haven't even explored consciously the truth for themselves. So how can kids decide later on when they're already being brainwashed by people who are asleep? You know, it makes no sense. So by the time kids are old enough to decide later in life, you know, they've already been, they've already been, their brains have already been shaped in a way that matches their parents' belief systems. And as, as I call it, you know, they've been infected by the disease of separation. So I'm just wondering, since you have such a close connection with kids, what are your thoughts on this discussion? Well, my perspective is that kids can't make choices if they don't know there are any. And at some point, every new vegan realizes that eating animals happened to them by default, that it was never an intentional choice or an educated choice, um, and that eating animals is not, in fact, inherently natural, but rather a very manufactured habit that becomes very clear Um, once you peek at the underbelly of the animal agriculture system. Um, 
I believe that when we give kids enough information to make educated choices, they choose wisely for their own well-being and health and for the well-being of animals and the planet as well. Yeah, if we could leave kids to decide on their own, that would be far more powerful. Yes. Yeah. It's like they come into the world. One of the analogies I use is they come in like like an Etch-a-Sketch, and I'm dating myself. (laughs) (laughs) You probably know what an Etch-a-Sketch is, right? Yes, of (laughs) course. I have one. (laughs) They come in a blank Etch-a-Sketch, except that other people are controlling the knobs. I mean, the number of times I am at the farmer's market and I now that I've been vegan for 10 years over the years have noticed um, the instances where a parent is trying to, you know, shove a chicken skewer into their kid's mouth and their kids, you know, shaking their head this way and that way and they don't want to eat it. And and that kind of thing becomes more apparent um, after you've been on the other side that you notice more that, it, that taste is a, um, a learned phenomenon. And you only need to taste something 10 times before you are used to it. So we all learn to like meat um, the way a smoker learns to um, stop coughing, you know, on their first drag, after their first drag. So It is a completely manufactured taste um, and, you know, proven by the fact that we're surrounded by animal protein everywhere. There's dogs and cats and bugs and rats all around us, and we don't get a craving for those. We only crave (laughs) what we've been told to crave. I love how you just you just tell it like it is. It's so true. You know, I heard this story actually last week. It was, uh, I was at a potluck, a vegan potluck. And <clears throat> one of the women was telling a story about her father, who was a, he was a voracious hunter. And he would, um, he'd go out and he'd shoot ducks. And he brought home, I guess, I don't know what they do, but they he brought home a bunch of dead ducks one one day. And this woman and her sister were enlisted to pluck these ducks before I guess they were cooked or whatever they do with them. Mm-hmm. And they had these dead ducks on their laps. And one of the, anyway, the woman who was telling the story, she, she looked at one of the ducks and she just thought, my gosh, this is such a beautiful animal. And she just could not, she tried pulling some of the feathers out, but they wouldn't come on their own. And so she just felt kind of creeped out by it. So she didn't do it. So she, uh, she went to her father, said, I can't do this, dad. And, um, the animal's just too pretty. You know, I just can't do this. And seven years old. So the father did it himself, cooked the ducks. They had duck for dinner and she couldn't eat it. And so she was sent to her room and the father, I guess, came, came later in the evening and said, uh, you know, honey, you have to eat this stuff because meat is what makes you strong. And she, she said, you know, Deb, I, I looked up at him and I trusted him. And so I got over myself and I forced myself to eat meat. And it wasn't until I was 30 years old that I woke up to the fact that what he was telling me wasn't the truth. Right. Yeah, I mean, plant-based diets have existed throughout the world and throughout history. It is not 
what makes us strong. It -hmm. can make us strong, but, and I personally don't even think that, you know, my stance is not that eating animals throughout history has been wrong. I think that none of that matters. I think today we know it is safe and um, that people are thriving on plant-based diets and that it is the right thing to do with all the resources and knowledge that we have today in the current state of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm going to go into your, your activism because again, you know, going through your website, reading your work, seeing your videos, you're one of these people who comes from a place of interconnection where a lot of activists, you know, they're, they're pointing the finger and they come from that blame and shame place. And I'm just wondering what it means to you. And I'm getting, I'm getting into the, into the heart here now, what it means for you to be more of a spiritually motivated activist, not spiritual in the religious term, but just basically heart motivated. And, and if you can speak about the work that you do to raise conscious awareness for the interconnection of all life in today's world that is just so separated, how we move through the world as these separate entities you know, like I'm separate from you and the animals and everything. And it just gives us carte blanche to do whatever we want to anybody and anything because we're so separate. So I'm just wondering, um, you know, your thoughts on this. Well, like I said um, before, I feel love and joy very easily in some moments in my life. And because I have such a reverence for social justice. And I I think I'm naturally self-reflective. I know my, from, you know, studying higher consciousness that I need to use that love as a tool in all of my activism. And I think that love isn't always pretty. It's not, you know, green juice and hugs, you know, all the time. And a lot of people hear this kind of rhetoric that we talk with and get turned off because they don't relate to it. And I think a few years ago, I wouldn't have either, except that studying the relationship between love and beauty and justice and truth and how you serve those things in all areas of your life has changed my behavior and my writing and my um, strategic activism. Mm -hmm. I think that, um, our anthropocentric view of the world is the root cause of all the world's major problems. You know, the idea that we humans are the center of all reality. Um, and I try in all of my projection out into the world, whether that's through my art or writing or blog, to serve this higher purpose of um, of critical thinking and social justice and justice for all. So justice, you know, even for people who are critiquing my work or sending hate mail. Mm-hmm. And you raised a really good point there because I think that I don't know, but we have this, as a species, we have this way of tainting language. And when I talk about, when I talk about the love and light stuff, it's not that hooky pooky new age stuff, because you're right. Love is, 
it's it's powerful. It's really powerful, and it's not fluffy. It's not green juice and hugs. It's it can really hurt sometimes, but when it's transformed into something more powerful, it really becomes something that's higher than you, and it's it leads to great transformation out in the world for ourselves and for others. Yes, I think it it is a an impetus for good thinking, um, and I know for myself that understanding the motives behind veganism changed my worldview and veganism, which is inherently connected to life and the planet and the public realm taught me to think, you know, biocentrically with life at the center of everything rather than anthropocentrically with, you know, myself or my feelings at the center. And like, I'm going to just, this is a great place to kind of slide into your tagline, which is love deeply think critically, act responsibly. I love that. I love that. It's just, it's so necessary. I don't know. <laughs> it's so necessary. It's like, wake up people. But that that's basically, it's a great way of saying, wake up. So I'm wondering, um, now you've talked about how you are really love-driven um, and how love is like very passionate. And I'm just wondering if you could just expand on this purpose statement and what it means for you, how you came to it, and how you how you align with it, I guess, and you know, in those times when you feel like the unconscious world is dragging you down. Well, that tagline really represents my approach to teaching a new generation about functioning from their highest selves. Um, and I think that all the best politics and the best of religion and the best of philosophy, teaches us to do that. There's all kinds of different ways to um, to reach that place of learning. For me, I think veganism hits so many um, marks of critical thinking that it is the best introduction <laughs> um, to learning how to function from the highest self. Um, but you know, when even when you say that you feel like I'm love-centered, I almost don't even relate to that because to me, you know, love is, um, it's just still sounds fluffy, you know, like I don't even consider myself to be love centered. You know, I think love is critical thinking and self-reflection and it takes action to serve who and what we love and action means grit and, um, and self-reliance and, you know, being really strong and being uncomfortable sometimes. But this kind of education can be applied to all realms of life, from family to profession to, you know, politics and the way we vote and the planet, and it lasts a lifetime. I think the it's a foundation of thinking that we desperately need to change the direction that our planet is heading. Okay, how do we take back the word love so that it doesn't sound so fluffy? I think the New Agers have kind of stomped on it a little bit. But to <laughs> me, <laughs> when I think about love, I've, I've taken it back, at least in my own world. And for me, love is passion. It's really, it's really powerful and it's really passionate. And it can be really angry sometimes. And that ang but that it's not like a, mm, it's not a separation anger. It's like, I really, I'm really angry about the state of the world right now. I'm really angry that I'm going out kayaking and I had to pick up plastic bottles from the, you know, floating in the ocean. But I love this planet so much that I'm going to do it and I'm going to do something more to bring awareness into the world so that 
it wakes people up so that they don't do that kind of stuff. You know, it's something like that. I mean, that's, that is kind of a, I'm, I'm just thinking out loud right now, but that, that for me is love. It's something that's really passionate, but it is driven by so many other things. Well, I think in one-on-one conversations with people, which is where we create the most change because most of us aren't speaking in front of large audiences or on TV. Um, I think helping people connect to what they love and asking questions about how to um, how to support their love even more. For example, I was just talking to someone the other day and she's a runner and she loves running. So my questions, you know, in essence were, how can you serve your love of running to the best that you possibly can? And for me, that would be thinking about how she treats her body and what she puts into her body and um, eating things that have no negative side effects, but that have healing and medicinal qualities to help her you know, serve this love to running as best she can. Everyone loves something or lights up about something. And, you know, I, th- I think if you're, like I said, veganism changed my worldview. It's like, so when I, I hear somebody talk about their love, I see it, you know, through vegan colored lenses. You know, how can this person help themselves and and become even more in tuned with this natural thing that they feel. I love that vegan colored lenses. That's kind of the way (laughs) I see the world as well. For me, it's already vegan world. We were driving through Vancouver yesterday and um, (laughs) I see these places, it's like chicken hut and burger or something or other, but I always reframe it with my partner. We're driving along. It's like, oh, look, there's a vegan chicken hut. There's a veggie burger place. Like, like, you know, (laughs) it's like, I already see the world my way. Right. But I, I, you know, I'm really grateful that you're talking about this love stuff because I used to think that it was hooky pooky new agey stuff as well. But now I realize that it's something so much deeper and it's so much more powerful and that it really can be so transformative. And really, I think ultimately when we come from that place that's really authentic inside of us, that's love. Yeah. That's it. That's it. And I, just- even, I think it takes even more forms, even like a, a repulsion to suffering, I think, at the root of that is love. Mm-hmm. And I think most people um, who aren't sociopaths and are normal people struggle to watch somebody suffer or an animal suffer or to see imagery of, you know, the earth that we live on being strangled out. It's hard to watch. And I think that at the root of that is love. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, now I'm going to go a little bit deeper because I keep talking about um, purpose with you because, like I said, you're so obviously connected to it. So, and we've been talking about love too, so I have a feeling I already know where this is going to go, but I want to ask you, what does it mean for you when I ask you what it means to live a life of purpose and meaning? Well, I think of my own artistic journey in getting to becoming a professional artist um, I was never comfortable with art for art's sake. And that is probably why I never committed to being a, a pro artist until I had the ideas for these books that would serve, you know, a purpose larger than pay or, you know, fun for me. And I've truly only felt and continue to feel um, 
a rightful permission, for lack of a better term, to create art when it's in service to a higher cause, you know, and, and maybe even it's at a detriment to my purely artistic journey that I don't come into my studio and play with colors, you know, so much, but that I, I feel driven um, and fired up by by a higher purpose or by an interesting idea um, or by a, a critical concept or philosophy. I, it's a very different feeling for me, um, drawing for fun and drawing when I feel sparked by something that has a bigger meaning for me. You f- it physically feels different. Yeah, that's. I think that's another thing too that that we talk a lot about on this podcast is how we've so many people are disembodied I mean like we walk through the world and we're just like our body just trans transports our heads around so most people don't feel anymore again that comes down comes to the feeling thing so you're right I know for myself whenever I feel really sparked that's a great word I there's a physiological current running through my body and I think that if we're trapped in our heads we just miss that and that's why yeah. we miss our purpose and we miss a life of meaning is because we've just disconnected from our bodies. And that brings us back to what you were talking about with the runner and being, you know, kind to your body and doing what you can. And I feel like vegan really is the is the ultimate expression of self-love. And when you I think when we when we we connect to who we are at our core and we really care for who we are, naturally we care for others. It just seems to be a byproduct of it. But I want to go back to um, you were talking about how you went vegan ten years ago, and I'm just wondering what was what was it that I guess woke you up to veganism? What was that transition moment? I was in in high school and college, very interested in social justice and politics, and I considered myself a healthy person. I loved salad, and I actually liked studying health and reading about health. Um, my mom was a vegetarian my entire life. I was raised part-time on an organic tree farm in Hawaii. I was taught a reverence for the earth and not spraying it with chemicals, which was just an obviously wrong, um, way to go as far as my parents were concerned and that they taught me that. And, um, 10 years ago or over 10 years ago, I met um, the man who's now my boyfriend. And he said, you know, hey, you're you're studying politics and social justice and you're a liberal progressive person, but your eating habits don't match your morals and your values. And that hit me pretty hard in a kind of humiliating way once I discovered what I was participating in. Mm-hmm. Um I looked into it. I started researching. He took me to a screening of Earthlings, which everybody should see. And that moment of witnessing um, what I was participating in changed who I was because I couldn't believe, um, I couldn't believe that there was such discrepancy between what I what I felt and believed and the values that I adhered to. 
and what I was doing by eating animals. That's amazing. It's it's amazing how that one shift really did. You say that it's changed your worldview and look at it's completely guided you on a completely different path too. It's mm-hmm. It's been embodied into your path. That's- Absolutely. It's, it's been the most impactful choice in my life greater than any book or class or um or hobby now earthlings is is uh is a very powerful movie and i agree everybody should watch that it's not an easy watch but it's a necessary one to just to really bring to light what is hidden from us yeah and i feel that sadness and that darkness all the time i think for a sensitive person and most vegans are there's always a psychological undercurrent um of a certain sadness about the world that we stay connected to, albeit by choice. Um, but many other people don't care to be connected to that. And I think we just carry it within ourselves. I have to process and manage it. I've learned that over the years. Um, you know, I don't always do it um, when I should, but that distress bubbles up and it becomes, you know, physical upset enough to cause distraction. And um, I usually take a few minutes out and pay attention to that when it happens, when it's physically, when I can't stand it anymore, that I've let so much build up. Um, But I come back to the idea that, you know, I can always get off the ride. I can always distract myself from the sadness or you know, leave activism completely, but the animals can't, you know, they're stuck in this endless horizon of suffering. And that drives me to just stay in it with them, some part of me. Um, I have a practice of getting flat on my back and letting, you know, all the feelings rise up. And I think even just um, letting your anger, your frustration or anxiety or tears manifest themselves so that you can see them and see what's been affecting you over the last few days or weeks really just helps because suddenly you say, oh, okay, that's why I feel that way. I've, I've had all of those things um, building up. And usually, you know, this little self-session, <laughs> I try to close it by um, focusing my attention on something that represents the opposite of sadness. Um, so, you know, even if it's, if, if I've felt really spicy after feeling, you know, after receiving, um, hate mail, for example, you know, I can picture people laughing and, um, feeling joy and that does something in the mind to change your focus or I'll, I'll, create a vision of a healed world or um, say a little thank you for someone doing great work. Hmm. I think it's important for us to all have these, these self-care practices, especially when we do care so much so that we don't burn out. Yeah. I think that's very important for activists is like you do carry this other undercurrent in you and you have to take care of yourself and your health Otherwise, you do burn out and um, end up leaving really important things behind. Mm-hmm. And that's also why, you know, people say, are you an ethical vegan or a health vegan? 
And it would never have occurred to me to separate those things myself. Um, because I think in order to serve your ethics, you have to be healthy. <laughs> that's, that's the first thing, you know, your food and what you take into your body is often the first thing that gets blamed if someone gets sick. Um, and I think everybody needs an understanding of how to nourish the body psychologically and physically. Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's very, very important. I think that activists in particular, and I've been guilty of this myself in the past, it, um, we just feel like if we're not giving to the cause constantly, then we're ripping the cause off. And I've been the product of burnout myself, right? And, and then I can't serve the cause at all. So this is one thing that I like to drive home as well is the importance of putting, putting ourselves first. Really, when we put ourselves first, then our selfless actions are so much more powerful. Yes. So thank you for sharing that. Now I'm going to get into one of your, your books, Vegan is Love, which I love the title. It's just so beautiful. And I agree. <laughs> uh, okay, so this is going back to one of the interviews again on your, on your website. So you mentioned in this interview that um, I'm just going to quote you here. What's interesting about the controversy and this is about your book, Vegan, Vegan is Love, is that by calling your book controversial, there's an admittance on a national level that what we do to animals is too scary to talk about. And this tells you that people want to remain willfully ignorant and they want to impose this ignorance on their children. And you also mentioned that only adults are overwhelmed by your book because it challenges the status quo. <laughs> I have to say, I really, I laughed when you said that because you just... <laughs> you just topple these these ridiculous questions right there with your answers. But um, anyways, let's just uh, so basically you've taken on some really really aggressive critics, like and they're nasty, mm -hmm. and you know and they're they're really it's obvious that they're not going to change their mindset. So they're really indoctrinated into this culture of separation, as I call it. But you don't let that stop you. And you still, you know, bring people and kids towards this culture of compassion with the work that you're doing. And what I'm no what I want to know is, are you noticing that more kids and their parents are breaking through this cultural trance of willful ignorance and waking up to the compassion, that interconnected compassion that they have for all living beings? And I know that there is like there seems to be a stronger vegan movement or a movement towards compassion. I feel like I, I, I interviewed Will Tuttle a few weeks ago when we talked about vegan. And for me, vegan seems like a limiting word. Like I feel like it's something bigger. There's a bigger movement that's happening that's actually beyond vegan. But I'm wondering what your thoughts are with the work that you're doing, what you're seeing, um, what supports whatever you're observing. And, you know, I'm hoping that it's going to be a nice, positive, optimistic hopeful answer because I know that's what, kind of what I'm feeling despite the darkness but I'm, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts well I think the movement is absolutely statistically um, growing exponentially I mean we see it I think it's even growing faster than the statistics statistics are able um, to show I can see it in my world I can see it in the book publishing world um, I can see it when I go visit other states. Um, you know, at the same time, there's always backlash. So it's um, some people, you know, wake up to 
the positive change with a shock, you know, upon discovering what they're participating in or because of a health crisis, for example. And for others, it's a slow and ambivalent process. But by far, um, we're seeing change spreading so fast because those engaged in it are externalizing their discoveries. And as much flack as we vegans get for always, you know, shoving it down everyone's throats or, you know, always talking about it, um, it really is changing the culture um, and normalizing veganism. You know, people who I'd never imagined would care are suddenly telling me that they're mostly plant-based, you know, whether their, their angle is health or animals. Personally, I don't care. Um, but I think this social change is occurring because people are speaking up because, um, moms and nurses and medical practitioners and athletes and punk rockers are sharing their views and reaching out to a broad range of ears. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I'm noticing as well. At the same time, it seems like those who oppose this compassionate shift are speaking up, you know, kind of like dinosaurs that are dying, you know, I'm sure that they were probably really loud before they disappeared. (laughs) (laughs) So it kind of feels like that too. Like I eliminated mainstream media from my life in 2006, but I'm still aware when I hear people conversing, I know what's going on enough and I can, and I can feel it, but it seems like there's this, this heightened breakdown that's happening with these really horrible industries right now. And I remember a quote from one of the people that I interviewed a a while back, and she said, breakdown always precedes breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And so I always, whenever I read about or hear about these horrible industries, you know, shutting activists down even more, whatever the case may be, I realize this is just part of the breakdown that's preceding the breakthrough. So that's, and, and, you know, you just supported that with your answer. Yeah. I mean, even a, a health crisis, you know, can lead to great change. And, you know, we're in a health and economic and environmental crisis across the nation. You know, we're in it right now. So I think the economic crisis especially has actually contributed to the growth of veganism because people are realizing we can't rely on our political leaders to do anything for us. They're not going to fix healthcare. They're not going to fix the environment or our schools that we really need to do everything ourselves. And economically, people have become more creative in how to be self-sustaining. And I think veganism is a a parallel in that it is a culture of self-reliance and independence and, um, I think people are finding ways to control. I mean, control is kind of a a heated word, but we're looking for um, control over things that we can actually change. And veganism is one way to affect politics in the public realm. Absolutely. Without any reliance on the government or political leaders. Yeah, I think it's, it's it's very empowering. Actually, when we take back our power of choice, for instance, that is so empowering and it really does affect so many systems, so many systems. Like you said, the political system, agriculture, corporations, it's uh, 
So I think that this movement towards veganism or embracing, you know, really what it comes down to is, is more, it's, it's bringing us back to who we truly are at our core. Really, like you said, like kids already know that they're interconnected and, and then it's taught out of us. And so it's, veganism reminds us of that interconnection that we have with all life, all life, you know, just, there's just no exclusion including ourselves too, because we're looking after ourselves better as well. Yeah. I mean, Leonardo da Vinci, who is one of the world's greatest thinkers and inventors and creators, um, reading a lot about him lately and his studies were all life centered. They all had the supporting of life at the center foundation. Um, and I think, I think the entire world and, and especially our politics um, and our effect on the public realm needs that infusion. Yes. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm going to, uh, I want to bring up another thing that you said um, in one of your interviews. You said, we don't have to fear anything that we don't have the power to change. So what did you mean when you said that? Yeah. Um, I often tell people we don't have to fear anything that we have the power to change because um, I think that's one of the most important lessons to teach kids, you know, and that's one of my main answers to um, critiques about upsetting children or um, avoiding tough topics with them because they're too young. And I think um, a certain amount of sadness and anger. I'm not talking about traumatizing your children, obviously. That's why my books are illustrated and not full of photos. Um, but I think sadness and and anger and feeling a sense of injustice is in fact justified no matter how old you are, even if you're four. And I think, again, we can teach our kids to process and manage their feelings rather than avoiding the triggers in the first place and veganism is inherently um, a solution to many of the upsetting problems that we face today and on almost every page of my book i um, affirm that our work doesn't have to stop at feelings but you know we need to put our love into action and there's things that everybody can do on any given day whether you're vegan or not um, to help our bodies and help animals and help the planet. Mm-hmm. Always comes down to choice too. Choice. Are you making a choice that serves ourselves and others or not? Um, I'm going to go back to another one of your interviews because you can tell I obviously watched a lot of your videos. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. I'm so, so impressed with how you handled these people. Oh my gosh. Um, you said in an interview where you addressed your critics if the American public knew the level of disease and abuse in meat and dairy industries or any commerce involving animals, then the outrage would be directed at the industries, not at, ch- at children's books about choices and alternatives. I don't even know where to begin with this. When I, when I first heard you say that, I just shook my head and I laughed because I thought, why are they, why are they attacking you know, a children's book author? when there are so many other things that are just so much more obvious. And it really is a glaring statement that just exposes the depth of the disconnect that has, you know, created this fanatical 
attachment <laughs> to the denial of truth. So <laughs> I just want to know your thoughts on this. Well, you know, I love your motto, status quo crusher, because people are functioning from a status quo without really being critical of it. I mean, to call a children's book that exposes simply the truth, whether it scares people or not, um, controversial, um, is to me, it's, it's unacceptable to find something controversial and then act like we shouldn't do anything about it, <laughs> you know, that it needs to be hidden. Um, we all know what happens in the world when um, decisions are left to the willfully ignorant. You know, we, there's major historical atrocities because people don't want to face controversy or conflict or look at things that are upsetting. Yeah, it's so true. People are, uh, anyway, I don't even know where to begin, but you've, you've, <laughs> we could have a whole other podcast discussion on this alone. Yeah. But I want to get back to you. I mean, you've already touched a little bit about how you, how you care for yourself. And this, this podcast is about removing yourself from status quo, but it's also about recharging and reconnecting that, that place that's inside so that we move in, move through the world authentically in a way that expresses who we truly are at our core, that love that we have, that passion that we have in a way that leaves the world a better place. And you're obviously doing that. And we've talked about a little bit about how you bring yourself back when you derail, but what is it? Like, do you have a daily practice that you do something that brings you back to that place that just keeps you centered in that love? I don't have a daily practice. I, I know that I should like most people, <laughs> Um, but there's so much to do in, in every day. Um, I really know about myself that I recharge my, my batteries by being alone and by being quiet. Um, you know, one of my most, you know, my sense of Eden is, you know, being quiet and getting to read a stack of books from the library uninterrupted um, and unplugged the library and getting into other people's minds and out of my own and into someone else's words or journeys is such an inspiration and escape for me. You know, that I, a lot of my free time, I actually, you know, my weekends, a lot of weekends I'm at the library <laughs> and I'm in every single section from economics to politics, to the self-help section, to, um, art and children's book. Um, I think that is, I think I'm both charged by and, um, relaxed by ideas. So you're feeding your sense of inspiration. Yeah. And, you know, when I need to do more, some of my practices are, you know, making sure I get my bare feet in the grass or in the dirt of the garden somewhere. Um, laying in the sunshine, you know, sometimes it's physically clearing out a cluttered space or cleaning up my art area to just like get clear and prepared for the next idea. Um, and if I feel like I've been really spinning or stressed, I often try to, you know, go raw, completely raw for a few days and, you know, make sure I get that juice and, um, 
and really take care of my body. I think personally, my my psychology and my physicality feed one another. So if one is feeling off, I can usually feed the other and it will um, make waves. That's your answer is so is so beautiful in so many ways because you're so it's obviously it's really obvious that you're connected to who you are so you know what you need and also just um you know I think like when I say practice people it's kind of a loaded word people think meditation or I don't know meditation is usually the first thing that comes up yoga that sort of thing and it's taken me years to get to the point where I meditate and I'd like to say that I do it every day but (laughs) <laughs> I'd be lying if I did. <laughs> I go through these phases where I, I do and it feels really great. And then other times it's like, nope, I feel like I need to write or I need to ride my bike or whatever. So I think it's really it's it's really powerful what you said is that practice doesn't necessarily have to be what culture tells us it needs to be. You know, it doesn't right. have to be. It can be hanging out in the library for days on end. Yeah. Yeah. But, and the raw thing, that's beautiful too. I just feel like that myself. If I get into kind of like a sugar rut, if I start eating too many, you know, fun things at a vegan festival, like cupcakes and stuff, (laughs) there's nothing like it. It truly does. It brings you back to totally um, center. Yeah. It brings you right back. Okay. Just a couple more questions. Um, you're, you're, you seem to be very hopeful person and I'm just wondering what feeds that sense of hope. This is an important one, especially for all the activists out there listening and looking up to you. Um, you know, I, I don't really relate to the word hope. My focus is um, action. You know, I, I feel a sense of um, optimism in action. So, you know, vegan kids make me optimistic. Um when I see eco entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, you know, doing smart, new, innovative things um, in an eco-minded, socially conscious um, manner, that makes me charged and optimistic about what can be done. Charged. I love that word. You use it a lot. That's good. <laughs> okay. Last question. <clears throat> My favorite if you had a magic wand and could wave it over the planet, what kind of world would you create? Oh, man. I really thought about all the <laughs> different ways I could go on this one. Um, you know, I think a lot of people expect someone like me to say I'd wish for a vegan planet, um, that I would change all the laws and make the world, you know, rules by veganism. But I would prefer to see a world where um, people are thinking so well that they begin to make um, intelligent choices for themselves and that that eventually affects the public realm. So um, I don't think that it's going to take a magic wand. I see it happening now. And I think... um, we are headed there. I don't know what we'll see in in my lifetime or in your lifetime, but um, I think that the era of eating animals will come to an end, either from the um, inside out because of some insane virus that shuts the whole thing down or from the outside in because people are choosing otherwise. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> That is a fantastic answer. 
grounded right. in reality. Who needs a magic wand? It's already <laughs> happening. <laughs> thank you, Ruby. Thank you for, for sharing your essence with us all. Thank you. Thank you for all the great questions. It always makes me think. As always, we hit on a lot of topics today. Everything from love to the inherent wisdom of the children to how veganism is the best introduction in learning how to function from our highest self. We also spoke a lot about the importance of self-care and how when we put ourselves first, it's then that our selfless actions become more powerful. So with that, this week's inspired question asks what you do to remain grounded and centered in yourself. Whether it's a daily meditation practice, time in nature, or, like Ruby, hours on end at the library. Whatever it is that connects you to you, so, so that you're more effective in the world as your best self. And in the show notes on my website at devilsarco.com, I'll be posting links to Ruby's website where you can sign up for her email list. And I have to say, I'm on her list, and it's a great place to stay connected and a place where she shares lots of great nuggets of thought-provoking wisdom. I'll also post links to her Etsy shop so you can check out her incredible artwork. And honestly, this woman is super talented. And don't forget to leave this podcast a ranking and rating in iTunes and sign up for my email list so that you can stay on top of all the exciting stuff that's coming down the pipe on my end. And that about does it for this week. The end of another Unplugged podcast. May we continue to open our hearts on our evolutionary journey of awakening to the point where our heads can no longer make sense of it all. Thank you for listening. And remember, live with passion, live with purpose, change the world.